Hello, dear listeners. First, I have a couple of housekeeping type things to get through before we get into the good stuff. Bear with me. I hope you'll enjoy this episode of my brand new premium miniseries on the global far right. This will usually be available on my Patreon at the new premium tier or above, which I encourage you to subscribe at. Just head on over to patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes, no Ian mangoes, and support a rare non-bro podcast today. Jokes aside, though, many of you will have heard that my family went through quite an unbelievable tragedy last year. I don't want to go over the details again because it's still difficult for me to speak about, but if you want to know more, you can check out my episode titled Update from 2022. So anyway, that incident changed a lot of things for me as a freelance graphic designer because I simply didn't have the time or ability with everything else that was going on to hustle and and chase the work as you have to do when you freelance. Plus, you know, having a toddler took a toll on that work too. So a lot of income was lost. Anyway, not to bore you with the details of that, but basically I'm at a crossroads now where I either have to start earning more doing this or do something else full time. I can't afford to keep this podcast going at the pace it is. It's just not worth the effort at the level of income it generates. I already put an update out for my patrons a couple of weeks ago as a heads up. So where I'm at right now... um, I'm giving myself a couple of months to really ramp up production, launch this new mini-series, offer new exclusive Patreon content, add a new Patreon tier, and shift a lot more of my upcoming work to Patreon-exclusive stuff, basically. If this show has been of any value to you over the years and you would like to support it to keep it going, like actually help it survive, really there has been no other time as important as now to become a patron because that will help me gauge over the next several weeks if I need to shut things down completely or switch to putting it extremely on the back burner while I focus on finding other full-time work or if I can actually manage to keep going by accelerating production and shifting gears a little bit. So in the next two months, I'll be at least doubling output and hoping that translates to doubling patrons, which can possibly buy me another month to try and double it again. But basically, if I don't triple what I earn through the podcast, at the very least, I need to shut it down after a wonderful run of more than half a decade. Actually, eight years in February, so almost a decade even. Either way, though, I thank you all so much for your listenership and your support over the years. It's truly been a labor of love. I have enjoyed doing it so much, and I hope to continue, but we'll see where the next couple of months takes me. And speaking of support, other ways you can support the show and help it get a larger audience is to leave some good reviews. Give it five stars over at iTunes and Spotify. That is really so, so important. I haven't focused much on that aspect before, but I'm definitely going to be doing some related art giveaways on my Patreon soon. Post a review, enter a draw to win a free portrait or artwork, something along those lines. So keep an eye out for that. And, you know, share it with friends and on social media. Leave comments 
And other than that, if you'd like to commission some art, especially with Christmas around the corner, I am opening up my commissions after like a year of not drawing much at all because I just couldn't. Pet portraits, human portraits, house portraits. So yeah, get in touch before the Christmas rush, ideally. If you have other graphic design needs or audio editing work, do let me know because gigs like that are also a big help. But I digress. Back to the show. In summary, I am on a real actual clock for the first time. I would love to not shut things down. So if you can support via Patreon, that would be super duper helpful. Um, If you're already a patron and you can bump yourself up a Patreon tier, that would be much, much appreciated. You will definitely get a lot more bang for your buck now that I'm ramping things up. But I know it's tough times for everyone lately, eh? Just the toll that Elon alone has taken on so many content creators is hard to express. But anywho, now that we're through all that, let's get this new miniseries rolling, shall we? With increased, often instant connectivity through smartphones, social media, and endless greedy platforms only interested in clicks for profit, right at people's fingertips 24-7. The reach of far-right influencers and their talking points has grown at an alarming pace just over the last several years. Throw a global pandemic and chaotic response to it into the mix, More isolation, more time spent online, and you begin to see a rise in conspiracy theories, various forms of online radicalization that definitely don't stay online. You see a growing mistrust of institutions, with not just right-wing and far-right talking heads exacerbating that mistrust, but centrist pundits too, often adding to the cacophony of hate and fear-mongering we are inundated by making the mainstream right and far right indistinguishable from one another. With so many forces constantly chipping away at human rights and pushing the Overton window further and further right, things look pretty damn bleak. Leaving us searching for answers during this unprecedented emboldening and coordination and echoing of similar talking points and tactics globally, I think it's important to at least try and understand the bigger picture of it all, to see the overlaps and alliances and the connections and the similarities and how the far right operates everywhere, really, before we can even begin to think about how we undo and combat these things. Which is why I'm doing this mini-series, so hopefully we can learn more through this together. In this first episode, we'll be taking a thorough look at what's been happening in India. This recording is from over a week ago, so the situation between India and Canada has escalated even more since then. With the Indian disinformation machine really shamelessly spreading ludicrous Alex Jonesian unsubstantiated nonsense, like there being supposedly so much cocaine on Justin Trudeau's G20 plane that he couldn't make it to events because he was so, quote, high on drugs, according to an Indian ex-diplomat, who may have meant it as some weird tongue-in-cheek jab, 
but it doesn't really matter because a lot of right-wingers, both in India and in the West, have happily jumped on and continue to spread it like wildfire. Another Indian politician apparently threatened to nuke Canada on live TV, and just today I saw a ridiculous headline about Nijara, the Canadian Sikh separatist that Indian agents allegedly assassinated right in Canada, being gay and liking Trudeau. Just extremely non-believable bullshit that is escalating things for really weird reasons. But before we really get into it, I just wanted to give you a quick little summary of keywords that we use throughout the conversation so things don't get confusing. Let's see. Hindutva. This is an ideology of Hindu nationalism and supremacy. RSS is the far-right volunteer paramilitary organization that helps to systematically spread this ideology. BJP is the right-wing political party currently in power and is basically the official political party of the RSS. Dalit are people formerly known in the traditional Indian caste system as untouchable. All right, there you have it. Now let's hear what's happening in India. Like, I did not have Canada versus India diplomatic battles on my bingo card. Right? It's wild. It is so wild. It is such a weird fight to pick. (laughs) The conditions in the past few years have been a perfect storm for extremism, terrorist attack, hate, community and conspiracy theories to flourish around the world join me as I try to learn more one country at a time in another polite conversations mini series this time exploring the global far right Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of my brand new mini series on the global far right. Today, I'll be speaking about the far right in India with Associate Professor of Marketing Gaurav Subnis, who teaches at Stevens Institute of Technology and is currently writing a book about the political marketing of Hindutva. Hello, Gaurav. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Aina. Nice to be back on one of your podcasts. Yeah. Last time we spoke, we joked at the end that the next time we chat, it's going to be a very positive and uplifting conversation about India. Yeah. We are somehow not there at all. (laughs) Although in some ways we might be. I think we might get to that. That. I think a lot of these recent bizarre tantrums are a sign of almost like a death rattle, although mm. that be a little aggressive, that uh, I feel like the BJP feels like they are finally about to maybe be voted out of office next year. So they are throwing everything at the wall. Gosh, I hope you're right. But I don't know. From an outsider's perspective, it certainly doesn't seem that way to me. But um, before we go further, though, let's start at the very beginning. So maybe you can just explain a little bit about your background, how you are a professor that gets targeted online uh, by these far-right creeps, and uh, why you're targeted so much, and... 
Um, maybe we can talk about the terminology because I know for people that aren't too familiar, like RSS, Hindutva, BJP, all of those terms can get confusing. So yeah, let's begin there. Yep. Awesome. So yeah, so the summary of my background would be that I grew up in uh, Pune, a reasonably big city in India and in a fairly liberal westernized world and the India I was growing up in always had this presence of a Hindu right-wing party. However, it was just one of these parties. It was one of these almost like this tripod of political alliances in the 90s and early 2000s, where there was the Congress party that was the traditional liberal party. There were the third front, which were more leftist, and there was the Hindu right-wing. So I started my blogging around 20 years ago in 2002, 2003, and that is that was almost immediately after the riots in Gujarat happened mm-hmm. in 2002. And this was the early days of blogging, right? So I didn't even think too much about anonymity or anything. So from beginning, my blog was always in my full name. And I was okay with building up kind of pseudo-celebrity, minor celebrity online on blogs based on that. But as a result, like anytime I posted any thoughts I had, after 2002, I was always opposed to the Hindu right wings, very specifically the Narendra Modi version of Hindu right wing. So just like in the US, within Republican Party, there was the Trump version of republicanism and there was the Romney version and the George Bush version and the Trump version was the most extreme. Yeah. Similarly, until about 10 years ago, within the BJP, which is the Hindu right wing, there were these differing versions where the previous BJP prime minister, Vajpayee, was more of like this cute, cuddly statesman guy on the world stage. Like he wasn't, he wasn't putting himself in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. But at that point, Narendra Modi started changing the definition of right-wing Hindutva within India, going from something that was more ascetic, more simplistic, you know, people who just don't do anything, to something more muscular. Muscular in terms of economic might and also in terms of just flexing foreign policy dreams where you think that just being really loud on the foreign policy stage makes you super influential and like what China or Russia tried to do. When I was blogging, I was continuously for about 20 years just saying that I don't like this guy, I don't like this guy, I don't think he will be the prime minister, but of course I was proven wrong. In 2014, he Mm -hmm. managed to build up enough support and convince enough people that he was very thumpingly elected in a way that almost no politician had been elected in a generation. And he was again right. re-elected in 2019. Right. He won in a, a landslide, right? Yeah, and, he won in a landslide. As opposed to Trump, who wasn't able to then convert it into a re-election, mm-hmm. Modi seemed to go the Erdogan way. And like I, that's why I, see, I always think of Modi as Erdogan and like, 10 years removed, where he's doing a lot of the same things that Erdogan does, that he realizes that this is a, this is not a fundamentally conservative country, but it is conservative enough that it can be manipulated to his purposes, as long as he can keep winning elections. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sorry, that might be a very long answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so let's, let's try to define some terms. 
what is uh, the BJP? What is RSS? What is Hindutva? Oh, yes. Actually, that is a great point. Let's define those terms. So, Hindutva is a relatively recent phenomenon in that that word didn't exist until about 100 years ago. The general concept of Hindutva, which is very new, came from copying European fascism, where they said that your ethnicity, your genetics are the basis of your identity and nationhood, etc. Mm-hmm. So the Hindutva people came up with this idea that, yes, just like the Europeans are superior and whatever else, we are also superior in our own way. And they started using that model to say that just like Germany is for Germans first and, you know, there was the Britain first movement mm-hmm. and which is sort of uh, coming back now. There was America first in America. The same movement was almost copied in India as Hindutva, where they're like, okay, India belongs to Hindus because that is the majority, that is the history. And it just started with that general idea. That led to a couple of different organizations. One of them was this organization called the Rashtriya Swayamsevak Sangh, RSS. Its literal translation is the National Volunteer Force. So Yikes. They were always like, oh, we are just volunteers. We are not like a political party, which even today they don't maintain member roles. Like they are a very diffused kind of Mm. strange organization. Uh, They started off and even in my childhood, like I, I participated in a lot of events that were conducted by them. So they would have like these... Um, essay competitions or art competitions. Okay. And they would be organized in ways that they were not explicitly pro-Hindu, but there was enough of an undercurrent there, like, you know, talk about Bharat Mata, which is like this personification of India, which is very Hindu in its appearance. Like, so like Mother India, yeah. Yeah, Mother India, exactly. So that is the RSS, which has been also around for a hundred years. It was suspected and charged in the Gandhi assassination in 1948, banned for a few years, but then uh, allowed to function again. Now, the RSS never flew the Indian flag on its headquarters until the 21st century. So they existed from the 1920s till the year about 2001 or 2002 where they refused to fly the Indian tricolor, the saffron, white, and green, because mm-hmm. they believe that India should be a Hindu Rashtra. As in, now, they are never very clear about what this means. Right? Sometimes they will make it seem like, oh, just like Pakistan was Islamic, but everybody is treated equal theoretically, but Muslims are first. That is Theoretically, what yes. Uh, yeah. Sometimes they'll say, we want it to be like the U.S., where, okay, Theoretically, legally, Christianity doesn't have any, you know, any official sanction, but America is still known as a place where Christians hold the most power. And then sometimes they want to be like Turkey, like they they have no clarity because it it has never been an original historic movement, almost always plagiarism. But also that kind of vagueness always helps fascism, right? So you can shift and uh, move according to whatever is happening. Yeah. And like, as, as we've seen with this recent uh, Canada clash. Now, the BJP is the yeah. third or the fourth iteration of that in which in a democratic country that India has been since 1947 or 1950, rather, I guess, technically, you 
have to be a registered political party. You have to like do some paperwork, etc. So if RSS wanted to fight elections, they could not do it in their current form. They would either have to like change their entire format or they could just create this offshoot. So they created this offshoot called what was initially the Jansung and then later became the BJP, which was officially the political wing of the organization. Right. So it had an official existence, which it still does. But at the same time, they maintain this kind of dual identity, almost a bipolar identity in which anybody who is a senior leader in the BJP is also a member of the RSS, which doesn't have any roles in its, any member roles or any stated philosophy. Its philosophy just keeps changing according to how the wind blows Mm. and fascistic convenience. So the BJP struggled for several decades, but its basic idea was that if we can capture about 35 to 40% of that majoritarian and majoritarian adjacent vote, then we can capture power. And then once we capture power, then we can change the constitution and the law of the land and everything else because there aren't as many checks and balances in the young Indian constitution. Right? So somebody who captures a huge majority can pretty much run the country any way they want, change the constitution any way they want. And that is the stage of history we are at now. So it's where we are at now is like my larger point is Narendra Modi is just incidental. If Narendra Modi weren't born, there would have been somebody else. Hmm. This is the inevitable conclusion of this majoritarian Hindu movement that has been built up in India for close to a century through grassroots marketing that started well before the internet era. Like It's something that I look back and I realize, oh, I was indoctrinated in this way in my childhood and I had to actively fight it. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but the RSS is like this a volunteer organization and it also has like a kind of Boy Scouts-ish image as well. Yes, exactly. And like the, the irony is that they were originally modeled not after the Boy Scouts, but almost after the Hitler Youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, so you the can see it in their Boy Scouts. Yeah, but the thing is, the Hitler Youth was Hitler Youth because they held power. The the RSS did not hold power until 2014. So, by definition, they resemble Boy Scouts, but the Boy Scouts doesn't have a like. Of course, the Boy Scouts are not exactly super liberal themselves, as we know, mm. but. The RSS were able to pass off as a Boy Scouts-like movement. That's why like, I participated in a lot of their stuff as a kid. But if I had a child today, I would not let that child participate. Right. Or my parents would not let me participate if they knew then what they know about the RSS now. So, yeah, they did get away by being Boy Scouts-ish for years, and they still do. They still pretend to be that. Right, and you see, like, even abroad, there's a lot of these, like, cultural camps and yoga classes or whatever, through which, you know, it seems like a harmless cultural activity thing for your kids to be enrolled in, but they are slowly, you know, indoctrinating them with, like, ideas like Hindu supremacy. Yep big time and like I don't know if this might be too much of a tangent but Vivek Ramaswamy one of the things he wrote in his book before he started running for president was that capitalism helps solve Hindu casteism because his high caste 
family allows pizza delivery guys to deliver pizza and tips them right like <laughs> how does somebody who grew up in ohio even get this view of the world unless it's actively indoctrinated into him right so he thinks that allowing the pizza delivery guys to come and deliver the pizza which they ordered and tipping them is somehow uh, combating casteism yeah and this is like literally i'm not, I, I i might be just paraphrasing word wise but this is what he writes in his own book the anti woke <laughs> the anti woke <laughs> ink book where he's like he thinks the market has a solution to almost everything and he's like the example he gives is that market is helping solve casteism by having previously untouchable folks deliver pizza to my brahmin family and my family tips them and this is solving casteism right <laughs> this, this guy grew up in the us how does he even get this world view unless it is actively indoctrinated into him right yeah it's such a far fetched and out of touch privileged thing yeah. to think that and he, this is a guy who went to both harvard and yale right like i don't think any resume in the world has higher educational qualifications and going to both harvard and yale so this is a guy who went to harvard and yale and he's saying this stuff <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah i did i did want to ask you about the uh, overlaps that we see between trumpism and uh, modiism and general overlaps with the western far right you know like this anti woke stuff like We'll get to the Trudeau um, stuff in a minute, but when you look up the tweets or you just look up uh, Trudeau on Twitter right now, you'll see a lot of like tweets from Hindu nationalists like criticizing him, but also using hashtags like woke ideology or like you know just ridiculous things that do not fit into this diplomatic weird spat that India and Canada are having right now it's got nothing to do with wokeness you know yeah it is just this it is just this broader strategy of continuous anger and grievance that any fascism works on so that's how it was in the trump presidency like there was some new drama every couple of days right so that's what has been happening in india in the modi years where they have created so part of it is very much a russian style just sock puppets mm. right but i'm not going to say that it is entirely sock puppets like i'm not going to say that there is no organic presence of this ideology so the organic presence is managed through telegrams and whatsapp groups and things like that so many times somebody is just copy pasting stuff on twitter not because they are a fake account or sock puppet but because they are part of a quote unquote patriotic telegram or whatsapp group and they are told go to this tweet this anti national person is saying this post this response right like right. so it's a, it's even more insidious than let's say what russia did in the us elections in 2016 this is much more like it does have a genuine grassroots component in this anger the thing is that a lot of these are real people who genuinely believe that canada has suddenly become dangerous or uh, like all these random things where on the one hand they say that this didn't happen on the other hand they say like yes we did it why shouldn't we do it so like it it just becomes this incoherent cable news debate that just spills over into 
everywhere else where you're just trying to win an argument it doesn't make it doesn't it doesn't have to make sense right right which is a typical right wing and far right yep. feature right yeah um so there's a lot of overlaps you know just in the movements between trumpism and modiism but i also see like rhetoric that reminds me a lot of like white supremacist rhetoric like talking about dharmic duties to reproduce more so that you know uh muslims are overtaken or muslim the fears about muslims uh reproducing and uh i don't know taking over um fear-mongering about muslim men raping women which is like something that happens here in the west right here and uh it's just shocking to me i was watching this documentary um in preparation for our conversation you know that bbc one the modi question that was uh posted on twitter i think and then elon's lovely yeah. hell site complied with censoring it and uh now we see that he has like a bunch of business interests in India and uh yeah um you know free speech Elon silencing uh stuff at the behest of the state yeah and that that is one of those things that a lot of indian uh, liberals or centrists try to minimize which is how unprecedented the use of the indian state has been in the last nine years but especially after modi won re-election so it, it started before so what ends up happening and i think this happens a lot with trump versus george bush versus reagan as well that you say that trump is bad in a particular way and somebody will say oh well this was always happening right, right? so that is what happens a lot with modi in which like you're like oh the so even though there might be people who are like in the US who are saying that, oh, Muslim men are going to be targeting and raping our women, you don't actually have cases of mobs going into homes in the US or Canada saying, hey, this is a Muslim man marrying a non-Muslim woman, let us investigate him, let us take him to the cops. Like if somebody tried to do that, they would be arrested, right? But in India, the opposite has been happening in the last few years, which is that random strangers will just go up to an interfaith couple and they will attack them and the cops will not go after the mob the cops will do something to the couple yeah so it has been officially it's like you know i i keep giving these parallels to 1930s germany before the holocaust started full on but there is like this parallel to nuremberg laws where in the nuremberg laws were doing exactly the same thing where they were slowly empowering people by just saying that oh all these extremely wealthy and cruel and huge Jewish men are seducing our Aryan women. Right? Which, right. as history knows, was just not happening. Because first of all, just 1% yeah. of the country was Jewish. And even among them, there weren't that many couples. It's a similar thing in India. Like in India, 90% of Indians marry within the same caste. Like forget the same religion. Yeah. 97% or so percent of Indians marry within the same religion. And the percentage of Hindu-Muslim couples is at something like less than 1% or so. Right? But And yet they have created this complete myth that has been common throughout history that these suspicious men are going to come after our women because it just reaches everybody's evolutionary instincts. Yeah. 
And this is what the term love jihad has been created for? Yep, exactly. Like completely. Please subscribe to the premium tier or above over at patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes to access full episodes of this miniseries. And do get in touch if you think you or someone you know would be a good guest for this series. Nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com. No E in mangoes. There are still a lot of countries I'm looking to cover. 